Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Storm Agnes has certainly arrived. If you are out and about and you come across any trees down or any flooding on roads, please let us know so we can share it with other listeners. Um, John Paul's taking the calls at 0818 103 103. And I will come back to uh, Storm Agnes, but I want to go to a story that's making all the headlines today. And this is the story of the Army Rangers who ended up raiding a mothership drug supply boat off the coast of Cork yesterday uh, with an estimated suspected 130 30 million euro of Colombian cocaine seized. Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News has the latest on this story. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Are we talking about a very sophisticated operation here? Absolutely. International connections uh, from South Africa, South America, um, right across the globe, really. This is a major international uh, drug smuggling operation, major criminals involved. And I suppose... I said to somebody earlier this morning, it is all the, the hallmarks of a movie script and the opening sequence and the opening scenes are Castletown Bear when two strangers arrive in a fishing village to purchase a trawler. And uh, they made the deal and the local man sold that to a totally innocent party in all of this. And um, locals started kind of questioning, you know, the, the, the carry-on of the two men who purchased the trawler. They didn't seem like fishermen. Mm. And we'll say for Agnes' sake, they were going, they told the locals they were heading for Devon. And when they headed off, say for Agnes' sake, they were supposed to go left and they went right towards uh, Wexford. And that was on Friday. And then on Sunday evening, this trawler that they had purchased in Castletown Bear became stranded on a sandbank. And all along, however, the trawler and the two men, as well as the ship that is now in the port of Cork, was under surveillance, and they have been under surveillance for the past six weeks. And the trawler was stranded. The two men were air-winched uh, from the, the trawler. They were subsequently arrested, and they're in custody in uh, Wexford. That trawler was due to rendezvous with the Ellie Matthew, which is now in the port of Cork. And what happens in that situation is that the Ellie Matthew, the ship, they would offload the bales of cocaine onto the trawler. The Ellie Matthew, the ship, would be known as the mothership, and the trawler, when it pulls up alongside, when it's offloading, that would be known, that's known as coopering. However, the trawler didn't get to the ship because it was stranded in Wexford on the sandbank, and the ship did stay around waiting for the trawler to meet up with it, but I understand yesterday afternoon, really, I suppose they became somewhat spooked when they realised and the news started to filter through that there was this big operation underway. The ship then tried to get out of, make its way out of Irish waters. The Naval Service uh, tried to intercept it. They failed to stop. 
and they wouldn't comply with any orders to allow the Naval Service board. And then it's that stage, it's at that stage, the Naval Service opened fire and fired shots across the bow of the MV Matthew. And at the same time, a helicopter with this elite squad of Rangers was nearing the ship. The Rangers then abseiled down onto the deck of the ship and before they knew it, the crew was detained. The Rangers were in the wheelhouse, and they had taken um, taken over. Incredible, incredible stuff, as you say. It, it definitely is in my mind's eye. I'm visualising the movie already. It, it really is the stuff of movies. So, what's known of the men that have been arrested? Uh, yeah, movies only that this was the real thing, and it was happening off the coast of Cork. And um, there's, there's the three men in quest in custody. Uh, one in the 60s, 50s and 30s. Uh, I understand two are foreign nationals. One is understood to be from the UK. Um, incidentally, on, what day we, on Tuesday, on Monday night, um, the captain of the Ellie Matthew uh, reported that he had fallen down the steps of the ship and he was airlifted. But when he was brought to hospital, he discharged himself and he was immediately uh, arrested. So he knew, I think, from 24 hours be- before the ship was actually boarded, he really understood, I think, and realised that the game was up. And he tried to wrangle his way out of the situation by pretending he was injured. But the authorities, as I said, had all of this under uh, observation and been tra- traced for the last six weeks. So they knew uh, what was happening. Um, today, the men remain in custody, the ship is now at the IFI, former FIA plant in Marino Point in Cove. She will be searched top to bottom, uh, and it could take a number of days before they find that, you know, whatever they find on, on board. At the moment, our understanding is that there's bales and bales of cocaine, possibly with a street value of up to 130, 150 million euros. Goodness me. But a, I mean, that, that wasn't all destined for the Irish market. No, this would have been destined for, our, uh, for the UK. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and because look, it's it, it's kind of accepted at this stage for every uh, interception and every seizure, um, nine more, eight between eight and nine others will go undetected. The Irish coastline is wide open for abuse, and basically the Irish coastline is seen as a soft touch. So, and again, we have two of the naval services vessels uh, tied up in Cove today because there just aren't enough people to, to man the ship. The LE uh, William Butler Yates was the one on duty um, yesterday, and while the other two remain tied up. But, um, as I said, the ship with the Matthew will be searched from top to bottom today. Uh, they'll offload uh, bales and bales of cocaine. They will also uh, carry out a dive on the, the hull of the ship to see if any compartments, if there's anything in the hull has been cut, where they could store other bales in the uh, in the hull. And there's also a possibility, because this is happening from time to time, that there could be torpedoes attached to the hull, which is another way of smuggling in drugs. If sometimes the ships don't actually store the drugs in the uh, in the in the, in the cargo hold, that they'd have them in torpedoes attached to the vessel. Because on one occasion last year, or the year before, there was a torpedo found washed up. Um, near Shannon, with a, a quantity of cocaine. So these are extremely sophisticated operations. And, um, you know, the, 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 the people behind it will do everything they can to get the drugs from A to B. And I've no doubt 
once that shipment left South America six weeks ago, the cartel was already planning its next move. Incredible. Incredible. And is there any evidence, Paul, that any of the cocaine, uh, the bales were thrown overboard? Um, nothing yet. The trawler will be searched, but uh, as I said, we don't think that trawler has anything on board. It didn't manage to meet up with the with the ship, but um, they obviously will be examining charts and and so on and so forth when they manage to board the trawler. Um, they're very confident. They're very very confident that the two men who are on board the trawler are linked to this uh, mothership, the Ellie Matthew, and um, you know it, it it will take a while to investigate, but they're confident that uh, they have enough evidence. And I suppose with the quantity of drugs that have been found, there's probably enough evidence to put these guys away for a very, very long time. Already there is um, talk that this is going to be one of the biggest seizures in the history of the state. You must remember Dunlock Bay a couple of years ago when the bales of uh, cocaine were washed up. We're talking 400 million at the time. So that was, at that stage, the biggest seizure in the history of the state. So it'll be interesting to see. However, Last night, uh, a source close to the investigation said this mothership, having left South America, there is a very strong possibility that she did offload drugs along the way. And if that's the case, there is the possibility that the intelligence will show that because she was being she was being monitored. The, yeah, the yeah. But it, but it is it is very much being seen as a major win for drug enforcement agencies. Oh yeah, I mean, one bail, one hundred bails. It's a bail and it's off the street. And that is whether it was going for Cork, Dublin, Limerick, uh, Eastern Europe, the UK, whatever. It's a success. And it's all down to the great work of the Irish state agencies here, which have come in for a major round of applause all round. But it's also highlighting uh, the lack of resources that um, the the state agencies are receiving from the government. Maybe this will act as a wake-up call and that remains to be seen. Well, do you, finally, do you think that the Colombian drug cartels, will they adjust their attitude to, to Ireland now after this operation? Absolutely not. It's wide open for abuse. You know, you have experts, uh, Cahill Berry, a former member of the Rangers himself, saying, you know, as, and as I said a while ago, they're, they're planning their next move. It's, it's, it's a small little price. That, like, OK, it might be worth street value uh, uh, 200 million. But there were so many other people around involved in that shipment that one person might have lost two million, another five million. That's small change to these I know. guys. I know, know, with what they're dealing with, yeah, the amount of money, yeah. they're changing hands. OK, yeah. listen, Paul, um, thank you uh, for that. Are you out and about this morning? Are you getting blown all over the place? I'm out and about. Um, you know, at the moment, it, it's just like a, a very dirty day in general yeah. in, in, yeah. in Ireland. Nothing major. Um, so some people are saying Agnes is short-tempered and she may flare up <laughs> a little later on. Sure, what do you expect? But we, we'll just wait and see. <laughs> Steady <laughs> now. We'll just Steady. Wait. We'll, wait and, we'll wait and see. I say that, you see, I'm very brave because you're in Mallow and I'm <laughs> up in Corporate. <laughs> well, just stay dry and stay safe, Paul. And thank you as always you for joining much. us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Byrne of uh, Virgin <clears throat> Media uh, News. Uh, with the very latest on that uh, story of that major drug uh, f- um, haul. 0818103103. Just by the way, on Storm Agnes, and, w- and we spotted this this morning in the Southern uh, Star because we've been talking about the fact that Storm Agnes is the first named storm of uh, this winter season. And do you believe Agnes uh, is named after a West Cork scientist? Um, Agnes is, it is Agnes Mary Clerk. 
She is uh, was a Skibbereen-born astronomer, lived in Bridge Street, where, I, where I'm told a shop front still bears the family name, Clerk, C-L-E-R-K-E. She's credited as being the founder of what is today referred to as popular science. She was widely accomplished. She broke through many gender barriers. She even had a crater named uh, after her, but she still remains unknown to so many people. She was the second child of John William Clark, who was the manager of the Provincial Bank. Now, the Provincial Bank, of course, they later went on to be um, Allied Irish Bank in Skibbereen. And her mother was Catherine Mary DC. Her father, it seemed, had studied astronomy at Trinity College while her mother was educated at the Ursuline Convent in Black Rock and was described as an intellectual lady with considerable musical uh, talents. They were a Protestant uh, family, the clerks were, but the DC family were Roman Catholic, so they would have been a mixed uh, marriage at the time. And uh, Agnes, together with her older sister, Ellen, they were educated at home by their parents uh, by the age of 15. Agnes was already writing a history of astronomy. Now, her love of astronomy, it seems, came from the fact that her father had a four-inch telescope and she grew up fascinated by the night uh, sky. Uh, They lived in Skibbereen before finally the family moved to Dublin when Agnes was uh, 19. So the first storm, Storm Agnes, is named after one of our own West Cork um, Agnes Mary uh, Clerk. Thank you to somebody who's just sent in a text to say be aware please that Ard Cahan Bridge uh, near, near Dunmanway is flooding. Please drive with care. There's reports of a tree down in Glanmire just before Monkey Maze before the bridge heading towards uh, Glanmire Village. A reminder that Donnerell Park remains closed today even though I don't think there are many people going out for a walk in Donnerell Park today but it is closed and we're now getting reports in of electricity outages in impacting the Bandon and Bantir area. So make sure you've got phones charged, folks, because we could have more power outages uh, because they say the worst of the storm is going to be around lunchtime uh, today. So please be very, very careful and keep us informed so that we can keep other listeners informed of what's going on. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. In its annual impact report, Cork Simon Community described last year as one of its most challenging years ever with a 33% increase in people seeking their help. Paul Sheehan of the Cork Simon Community joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Hi, Patricia. And Paul, before we talk about last year, are you seeing Mm. any light at the end of the tunnel this year? It's hard to see light at the end of the tunnel, to be honest. We've seen uh, 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 the kind of numbers of people that we saw last year continue to increase in the first seven or eight months of this year. And there's been no let up. We're going to be heading into what we expect to be a very difficult winter. Um, We're certainly seeing more people sleeping rough. Um, We're certainly seeing more people knocking on our door looking for a bed. And the number of people depending on our soup run continues to increase. It's a slow, but it's a very steady increase. So we've supported as many people as we did last year, uh, just over 1,300 people. We've supported that many so far this year. So, you know, that number last year is going to increase this year. So this time next year, when I'm talking to you, you will be saying something like it was even more challenging than the most challenging year that you had experienced. That's what it's shaping up to be. Goodness me. And and I'm looking out the window and, you know, what an atrocious weather that we have today. For homeless people, Paul, where where do they go on a day like today? 
They have very few choices, I'm afraid, Patricia. I mean, we do have a day service that opens uh, early in the morning for rough sleepers to come in and uh, get a bit of respite from the weather for a start, but to get a bite of breakfast, change of clothes, you know, get them cleaned. Um, uh, But it's limited space. Um, And, you know, typically of a morning, our outreach team are meeting, you know, up to 30 people sleeping rough. There are days when they go further afield, they're meeting 40 and sometimes 50. Um, so some some people sleeping rough of tents. I mean, it's it's not great, but it's that little bit of shelter from the rain, perhaps on a day like today. Uh, but for the most part, people are just trying to find what what shelter they can in doorways and and you know um, other places where they can um, get a, a a bit of shot eye. Uh, but you know, as as most rough sleepers will tell you, that can be very challenging. Incredible. It's incredible. So last year, uh, nearly 1,400 uh, men uh, and women turned to you uh, to, for support. Would Are we talking about some of these coming to you for the first time ever, Paul? We are. Um, and um, certainly we would see that in the, the number of people sleeping rough. We would see it in the number of people staying in our emergency shelter. Um, and I suppose last year was an unusual year in that, you know, obviously our capacity was reduced somewhat during the COVID years, uh, but we restored that straight away and we increased our capacity because we had to. Uh, there was a growing need there and, um, you know, there was a, a, a real need for additional emergency accommodation. So we did increase our capacity. Um, and um, it's, it's a mix of people now, Patricia, you know, we, we've talked often about the people we normally support or people with very complex needs, you know, they've probably experienced severe trauma in their childhoods and that's, you know, uh, stayed with them into their adult years and, and one of the, the main reasons or the root causes of their homelessness. But now we're finding people who just can't afford to put a roof over their head. It's as simple as that. They have no other needs. Uh, we have people in our shelter. We have people sleeping rough who are working who are trying to hold down a, a nine to five job Monday to Friday, uh, in some cases, six days a week um, and sleeping rough or, you know, trying to um, get some rest and sleep in, in an overcrowded emergency shelter, uh, which in itself is, is challenging. Um, so, you know, the profile is, is changing so quickly. And I believe you're seeing more women than you would have traditionally seen in the past. We are, uh, particularly younger women. Uh, and particularly younger women with more complex needs. Well, you know, it, it's. I think it's a reflection of the pressures that everybody is under at the moment. You know, we see the the numbers of of uh, adults in their late twenties, early thirties who are still staying at home with their parents and their family home because they can't afford a mortgage or they can't afford a rent or they're trying to save for a deposit on a mortgage. That puts huge pressure on on households. Uh, you know, for the most part, those households are probably overcrowded. You know, you've got people who are, uh, it, it's, it's termed sofa surfing, which, you know, it sounds nice and pleasant, but of course it's not. There's no security. It's people staying on the sofa of a friend's house. Um, and quite often moving from friend to friend uh, as as the welcome is is outstayed, not intentionally. Um, so you know there's pressure right across the housing system. There's pressure right across households, whether it be single households or family households, and and you know that that's reflected in the number of people who are are knocking on our door. And when you say that you did increase your emergency uh, beds, did you manage to have a bed for everybody who needed one or wanted one last year? No. Um, that was certainly the intention setting out, but um, there were more people uh, looking for a bed than we were able to provide. Um, and, you know, that's why we increased capacity. But even now, 
uh, our emergency shelter is full every night, Patricia, and there are people sleeping rough. So we don't have a bed for everybody that needs one. The city and the county might have a bed for everyone that needs one. Uh, typically, that would be in uh, temporary B&B accommodation, um, but we certainly don't. Uh, you know, the, the, the emergency shelter beds, you know, ourselves and DePaul and Good Shepherd Services and, and other emergency shelters, they're all full. Uh, that capacity has been at capacity for a long, long time. Um, you know, there are more people in Cork and Kerry staying in B&Bs on an emergency basis than there are in emergency shelters. It's incredible. And it must be so difficult, Paul, on your staff to have to say no room at the inn tonight. Oh, it's difficult and everybody really, Patricia, you know, staff are well trained, um, but there's no question it is having an impact. And it's coming on the back of, you know, two very difficult COVID years um, where staff did, you know, leave the families every day, go into work, putting themselves at risk, putting their families at risk. Um, and we came out of that and obviously people were exhausted on the back of that. And straight away we're into an increasing number of people who are uh, you know, losing the roofs over their heads. Um, and it's very difficult day in, day out to be working in a very packed environment. Uh, typically, we have, you know, 70 odd people staying in our emergency shelter every night, 74, 75. Um, you know, if you were talking to me three or four years ago, that would have been 44. Um, so that's the kind of measure of increase. Um, you know, every spare place we have is being used. On a night like last night, you know, um, we try and bring extra people in again uh, on a very temporary basis, but it's like somebody sleeping under the stairs, somebody sleeping in the TV room, somebody sleeping in the rec room. Uh, and when I say somebody, you're probably talking about two or three people, just to give people respite from the severe weather uh, and particularly people who might be especially vulnerable to sleeping out in weather like this. And that puts huge pressure right across the system, staff, volunteers, people who are depending on the emergency shelter. You know, it's very difficult to get a night's sleep quite often. Um, so, you know, right across the, the system, there's huge pressure. But I'm trying to find a positive in all of this. There was some positives uh, last year. You did uh, support people to move from homelessness to secure affordable housing. That's a huge positive, Patricia, and that's what you hold on to, you know. 71 people, um, most of them long-term homeless, and, and it's defined as, you know, somebody who's stuck in an emergency shelter for six months or more. Um, and, and more often than not, it's much longer than that. But 71 people, it's the most people that we help to house in any one year. And that is a huge positive, despite all the challenges that were there. Uh, and, you know, we're now supporting 204 people in tenancies who were formerly homeless. Awesome. And we enhanced our housing team just to make sure they remain housed and don't return to homelessness. Another 46 people in high support housing. This is, you know, uh, a few houses around the city where people can't live on their own. So they're shared housing and they're staffed around the clock. So the support is there permanently. I mean, that's a huge positive. But yesterday I was at uh, an annual award ceremony that we have here, a graduation ceremony for people who participated in training, education uh, courses and, you know, who we supported back into employment. Uh, there was about 200 people in the room. It was hugely positive. I mean, it was electric, Patricia. Uh, these are people who are well on their way out of homelessness and who are looking ahead with real hope. 
uh, and planning for their futures. You know, when you're stuck in an emergency shelter, that's impossible. When you're sleeping rough, it's doubly impossible. But the, the atmosphere in the room was electric. They were getting certificates for the courses that they participated in, uh, for courses that they completed. Um, a few of them spoke on stage. You know, one man stood up and he said, you know, one of the first things he said was, uh, today, I'm two years sober. But actually, he said, I'm one week off from being two years sober. But the room erupted, you know, in applause. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, must bring, that must bring great joy to, to, to yeah. all of you and to all of the volunteers to see the difference that you can make. Yeah, and it's just, it just demonstrates that no matter what's going on out there, Patricia, you know, when you're talking about light at the end of the tunnel, that's the light, really. You know, despite all the pressures, all the challenges, all the difficulties, people are turning their lives around. You know, the, the level of support uh, that we get from the public, the support that we've had from the local authorities and the HSE, our, our partners who we're working with, has been tremendous, I have to say. And, you know, because of that support, people are able to turn their lives around, uh, you know, Lives are being changed. Lives are being saved. Um, and, you know, one man on stage yesterday talked about how, you know, the people who were supporting him saved his life. Uh, and that's what you hold on to. And, and that can still continue to happen. OK. Um, and and I obviously know, we can't do it on our own. Yeah. Know? And I know people are extremely uh, generous to the Simon community, but you, you did end the year on a deficit. We did an unprecedented deficit, I have to say, over €750,000. Um, and that's, you know, really because of the, the pressure that was um, across the, the organisation from the increase in homelessness. You know, obviously everybody's experienced the cost of living increases. We all are experiencing the, the negative impact of inflation. There were already very high rents. Um, you know, all of that, as we've been talking about, brought more people to our doors. We had to increase emergency capacity. We strengthened our outreach team to respond to rough sleeping. You know, we enhanced our housing teams. Uh, so as, as I was saying earlier, people who are housed wouldn't return to homelessness and the best chance of holding on to their tenancies. And all of that put huge pressure on our finances. But we've been working on that since um, the beginning of this year, um, you know, looking at what we can save cost wise, looking at ways we can increase our, our finances. Again, you know, the support we've been receiving from local authorities and the HSE has been tremendous. And I think we'll be in much better shape financially. Brilliant. It's Brilliant. looking like that now anyway. By and, the end. and the good, and I know the good people of Cork are always uh, extremely generous when it comes to Simon and long may that continued. Uh, Paul, uh, you do incredible work. You really do. You and all of the workers and all of the volunteers. Uh, I'd love to see the day when we wouldn't need your services, but I don't think that's certainly not going to happen anytime soon. But listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks a million, Patricia. Thanks for your time. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Sheehan, who joins us from the Cork uh, Simon community with their annual impact report out uh, yesterday. 0818103103. Some WhatsApps coming in. Mag says there is a tree branch hanging out over the road on Kil- the Kilbrint Canturk Road. It's just beyond Philpott's. Um, Philpott's Cross as you head towards Canturk please drive with uh, care because if it's hanging at the moment with the way the winds are going uh, that very big branch could come down so please be careful and someone said there's power outage in some parts of Dunman Way as well Court today on C103 Now hundreds of parents nationwide are facing childcare issues this week with providers shutting their doors for three days strike action as the funding row with the government escalates yesterday saw childcare providers gather to protest 
protest at the gates of Leinster House, of which one of them was Mela Finn from Mulberry Montessori School in Mitchellstown, who we spoke with last week and once again uh, joins us. Good morning, Jamela. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Now, uh, as I mentioned, we did speak with you last week in advance of this three-day strike action. Firstly, have parents been very understanding and very supportive of what you're doing? Yeah, the majority of our parents have been. Um, you know, we, we obviously we were putting up kind of posts on our WhatsApp group yesterday, kind of letting them know how we were getting on and how we were progressing. And there's a lot of support back from the parents saying, well done and best of luck and hope everything works, you know, for you. So, yeah, in general, yes, and I even had one of the parents emailed me yesterday that he had sent on letters on to our, you know, the, the TDs in the local area as well. And he wrote a fantastic letter in support of us Brilliant, as well. brilliant. So, and and, and I, don't, I don't know how much uh, you would have heard of the programme after you were on last week, but we had a lot of really lovely texts and messages in from uh, families whose children would have, would have been in your school over the years. Some of them were lovely. I remember one stood out was a mum whose daughter is 14 and she still talks about the time that she was in your Montessori yeah, school. So it was, lovely. Lovely. It, was re- it was really yeah. nice to, and just to pass that on uh, to you. you. Now, how do you feel yesterday's protest went? Um, I think it went well um, in the sense the turnout was excellent. I mean, I've gone to previous protests over the last year or so and I mean, you're talking maybe a couple of hundred people, maybe 300, you know, very, you know, kind of, it, it's a bit disheartening, I suppose, when you're there and you're trying to make a change for the whole sector and this is what the turnout is. But um, yesterday, I mean, the estimates were there were about three and a half thousand between providers, parents, uh, educators, you know, um, which was fantastic. And I mean, they were even, you know, the, the organisers at the Federation of Early Childhood Providers were blown away with the support that they got because, you know, they weren't expecting that there'd be such a great turnout. So, you know, it was it went really, really well with regards to turnout. Now, whether that's going to make any impact on, you know, the minister and the department, I don't know. Only uh, time will tell. I know in advance of the protest, uh, Roger Gorman said he was disappointed at the three-day uh, strike action, saying huge progress has been made with increased increased investment, said there's better pay for staff and reduced cost to parents. You obviously wouldn't agree with that statement. No, no, no. The reduced cost is getting there for the parents, but in reducing the cost, you know, what it, what's happening is he's reducing the cost to them, but he's making our lives more difficult in the sense that our costs, you know, are still going to be the same regardless if he's reducing the cost for the parents. We still have to pay our bills and everything, but there isn't enough funding coming in to cover that cost. Yeah, yeah, I know, because the, the department point out, you know, that one billion euro has been provided to your sector for in, in this year's uh, budget. But, you know, what you and other providers have said to us, it's simply not covering th- things like the effects of inflation or uh, meeting the pay demands. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's the answer, isn't it? There's that. And also, you know, um, you know, the, the people there, you know, are um, the people who are kind of the heads of the federation, like they have asked for numerous times for a breakdown of the, you know, of the funding that's coming into the sector and they're not being given it. And, like, why not? Why are we not getting this? Is there something, is the money going elsewhere that we're not seeing? You know, because the money is coming in, but it's not just going to the providers, it's going to the county child cares, um, you know, uh, you know, other, other um, what would you say, um, support groups for early for early years educators and, and um, providers but it's going towards those it's not necessarily coming to 
you know, to yeah, the service. It's, it's, how, it's how it's been divided up. Yeah. So I, I read with great interest this morning that Roderick O'Gorman, he uh, was at a private meeting of Fianna Fáil TDs and Senators, which, by the way, I'm told uh, was, um, according to one source, better attended at most weekly Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meetings. So it shows that all the backbench TDs and Senators are hearing it on the ground, what's going on. on. But anyway, Roderick O'Gorman says he's going to examine ways to cut red tape for small childcare providers and he admitted at the meeting that the core model of core funding for the sector favours larger providers and that's exactly what you guys have been saying. We're trying to say this but as I said to you last week they're not listening to the people that are on the ground they're not listening to people that are trying to run their businesses you know and at the end of the day we want to run our businesses as successful businesses we don't want to be running our businesses at a loss because that's reckless trading Mm. you know so I mean if we're trying to run our business um, and keep going, you know, it's like who, we're not benefiting from it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to end up having to close, you know. And so staff retention and staff recruitment, is th- that's still an ongoing problem. It in this. No, and is that down to pay? It is down to pay. Now, I'm very lucky. I have excellent staff. I have one of my staff members with me with 19 years, nearly since I started. I'm, and like, <coughs> I'm not paying her what she appropriately should be paid. No, because, you know, I try and look after them as best I can. You know, they, they repay me with that by staying with me. But not every, you know, not everyone can afford to do that. Mm. You know, they're relying on their husbands or their partners. Um, but like for somebody now that's going out trying to get a mortgage at the end of the day, they won't even be looked at for a mortgage because their income is just isn't enough. It's not suitable for, you know, for a mortgage. And that's not fair because at the end of the day, you know, these girls have gone back, they've done, you know, leveled, you know, they've done degree level. All the training, yeah. And all the training that's been requested, as I said to you, for the upscaling. Yeah. And, you know, like why, why bother going back doing a degree if you're not going to get the appropriate pay for it? They can go into an S&A job with a level five course done or module even of a course um, for SNA and get a job and they'd be paid for a lot more than what, what people in the early years education sector are, are a lot more, you know, are, and get paid for their holidays as well. Yeah, and, and as you mm-hmm. said to us last week, it's not that you, it, it, this isn't greed. This isn't you trying to say, I want to make no, more profits. No, you just don't no. have the money to, no. to, to pay. Okay, you've organised a protest is, uh, outside. Thank God it's tomorrow and not today. I know, Mella, can I, I know, say? it would have been the, the gods, <laughs> The gods are definitely with you. Um, it's uh, Super Value in Mitchellstown. That's right, that's right. And there's a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the providers, you know, that would be more rural around the area. So we have people coming from Donneril, people from just outside Mitchellstown, you know, who'd be just out the country that little bit more. Um, people who are in Kilworth, Glenworth, um, and, you know, people are coming in um, into town uh, to join us from, all, you know, all the local yeah. areas um, to, to support us. And, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're in the same boat as I am. You okay. Know, um, okay. Well, we wish you luck with that tomorrow from nine uh, nine a.m. to eleven a.m. at uh, Super Value in uh, Mitchellstown. Listen, Mella, um, keep fighting the good fight. You're, it's it's a shame that you have to do it, but uh, keep it up. And uh, we thank you for joining us once again on the program. 
And thank you for supporting our cause as well, Patricia. Thanks for listening to us. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Mela Finn. And Mela is the founder and owner of Mulberry Montessori School in Mitchellstown. Now, just the latest on damage caused by Storm Agnes that uh, people are contacting us about. Electricity outages are now coming in hot and heavy. They're impacting areas of Drumtariff and the Rathcool area near Mill Street. Also hearing of electricity outages affecting Crookstown and the Bailen Law areas of West Cork and there's a tree down on Hospital Hill in Cantorc and the latest report we had from that was the road is impassable because that tree is down so please be extremely uh, careful if you must go out and about if you can defer until later on into the afternoon anything you need to go to that would be the best advice I could give you because it's quite dangerous driving conditions out there at the moment 0818103103 keep us informed if you come across anything in your area Text or WhatsApp is to 0862103103. And of course, the email address always available to you, Cork Today at c103.ie. Now, on other issues, we kicked off the programme uh, by uh, talking about that major drug seizure uh, that happened uh, yesterday. Well, that's prompted a West Cork listener to say, Patricia, hope this message finds you well. It does. Thank you for asking. Can I just say, well done? says this listener, to the Irish Army Ranger Wing, the Navy and everyone else who was involved in catching the the ship yesterday full of drugs. Our Defence Forces should get better pay and conditions and certainly should be getting much more respect from our government for the work that they carry out all year round. I'd like to say thank you to the Irish Defence Forces for keeping us safe. Tell them keep up the great work and that's from a West uh, Cork uh, listener. Yeah, and it did seem uh, quite a daring thing uh, you know, that they had to be winched in from helicopters but they're well they're so so highly trained those army ranger rangers uh, they're they're an incredible bunch and we don't get to see them that often uh, do we now i know the latest has been reported they reckon more than 2 tons of suspected cocaine has been found and that's so far because they really are doing a deep dive and it's a big big ship the MV Matthew and they're expecting that they may even find more but they reckon so far about two tonnes that's a huge huge that's a well over 100 million euro uh, worth of uh, cocaine 0818103103 and then uh, somebody says Patricia would you give a shout out and say there was a lovely entertaining night last night in Rossmore Theatre uh, with a night that dealt with farming through the years. John O'Connor was the MC. It was a big crowd. Well done to all. And that's from Katrina. Glad to give that a mention for you, Katrina. And then someone, uh, I, I think probably tied in with Mela Finn, who I spoke with from childcare and also spoke with Paul Sheen of the Simon community, just showing so many groups in this country are in need of uh, support. That's prompted somebody who doesn't want uh, their name called out, which is fine to say, Patricia, the upcoming budget, one billion is to be given to uh, cover the cost of more people coming into this country from other uh, countries. This Ireland is already at full capacity. There's no one billion extra to be given to childcare services or to help children with scoliosis treatment. There's no one billion to help the childcare providers, no one billion to help our Cork Simon community to help them take people off the streets. The priorities of this government, I feel, are totally out of touch with what is happening in everyday life for people who are vulnerable. The health service 
is, is yet another success, sector that's full to capacity. People are struggling with cost of energy prices, cost of living. Please don't read out my name. But when you sit back and look and think about it, all of this is wrong, says a listener who wants to remain uh, anonymous. And the cost of living certainly is having effect on so, so uh, many people. And actually something that's going to be announced uh, today is a new living wage of €14.80, Euro and 80 cents, so just under €15 Euro an hour. And that living wage is going to be announced today. Now, the living wage is the minimum wage minimum rate of pay required for a full-time worker without dependence to be able to afford to live. Cost of living pressures has led to an increase of 95 cent over the figure that they announced last year. Last year it was at €13.85 so uh, it's going today to just under €15. The living wage rate, it's calculated by a group of academics, union officials and social justice workers and they're known as the Living Wage Technical Group and every year they take a look at it, they they take a look at all of the different elements that need to be included and then they come up with this, what they feel is uh, the living wage. Now the group takes things like inflation and taxation into account when they're coming up with the rates so they don't just pluck it out of the sky. They found that over the past year most living costs had increased including energy and energy was a big one that went up by 23% but food costs wasn't far behind it. Across last year food prices went up by 21%. Personal care went up by 9% and housing went up by 7%. And they say and will say in their report today that social inclusion costs also rose rose by 6%. Now, what do they mean by social uh, inclusion? That basic, that covers like the basic expense of just participating in society. Like they include things, for example, which I didn't realise, they include the cost of a television licence. They include uh, a person being able to buy one newspaper a week, being able to buy two books a year, and to be able to get one cinema ticket at least every two months, all of these costs outweigh lower costs on transport and education. That's driven up the overall increase. The living wage rate is based on the rationale that a full-time worker should at least be able to provide for what is a socially acceptable minimum standard of living. And remember, this is a single person without any dependents. If you add dependents into the living wage, I'm assuming would be much higher. And it represents the minimum required to meet physical, social and psychological needs and to enable a life with dignity. And when the rate of inflation, while it has reduced slightly over the last few months, the living wage group found that living costs remain exceptional high and official forecasts are not anticipating a return to any earlier prices. It's estimating that around one in five full-time workers are now earning less than the living wage. And the government, of course, we do know has committed to replacing the minimum wage with a national living wage. That's what this group is all about. And they they say that they will do that by 2016. But goodness me... (laughs) we're still a long way off from it. When you look at if we were to go with this new living wage from today, it would mean every worker with the minimum they would receive is €14.80, where the minimum wage at the the moment is €11.30. So they're €2.50 per hour off 
the difference between the minimum wage and the uh, living wage. So it's a, that's a big, big gap indeed. And that's for just somebody to have a very basic life. We're not talking about people jetting off on the ski holiday at Christmas, uh, even on the uh, living wage. And while that's making the papers today in advance of that report coming out today, what's also making the papers, and I know will annoy so many people to hear that the salaries of TDs are to increase from next week. The backbench TD, their wage will go up by €1,610 a year and they'll be at 108000 uh, 986, so 109,000 basically. Now, th- that is on top of the thousands of euro that ministers and TDs receive in expenses and allowance every year, things like travel and accommodation. That's their basic flat uh, wage. The Taoiseach, the Thánaiste, all of our government ministers, the TDs, the senators, all of our public servants, they're all going to see a pay increase from s- next Sunday. And this is under the public sector pay agreement building momentum. Members are office holders may have chosen to waiver receipt of some salaries and allowance and the coalition decided in 2020 for example that cabinet ministers and ministers of state they would give back 10% of their salaries to the state on an annual basis and we assume that they are continuing to do uh, that so taking a look at the new salaries now this would be before they, the wavered amounts are deducted so before they give back say the 10% but at the moment if the Taoiseach was to draw down uh, his full salary from next Sunday the Taoiseach salary 233,000 the Thornister salary 215,000 ministers 198,000 a junior minister 152,000 minister of state a cabinet 165,000 and senators come in at just over 76,000 now a spokesperson for the Department of Public Expenditure said government members also decided in 2020 to forgo the value of the pay increase on the 1st of October in that year by way of personal waivers on an annual basis. But this is under building momentum from 2020 to 2023. It was agreed at the time that public servants and you see the TDs and our ministers and junior ministers and Thornish and Taoiseach all fall in under public servants uh, along with all of the civil servants and, and everybody else that works in the public service. It was agreed that they would see their pay increase. It went up by 3% in February last year. They got a further 2% in March of this year. And now there's to be an extra 1.5%, which is to be given on the 1st of October, which is this weekend. These increases are applied to all public service staff. And it's all to do with part of the restoration cuts made during the financial uh, crisis. Now, a number of opposition parties, they previously said they would forgo pay increases because these pay increases, when they go out to TDs. They're not just going out to the government TDs, they're going out to the opposition as well. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar uh, recently said he's not out of touch uh, due to the salary he earns and he dismissed that there was a lack of understanding between the public and the politicians due to the wages that they earn. Leo Varadkar says he's been taking a voluntary pay cut since 2007 and he's been giving back some of his pay salary since 2016. And and I quote from Leo Varadkar, he said, I know that there are other politicians who signed the form and then posted up on the internet. He said, I've never done that. He said, I think it's a bit 
trashy, quite frankly. And what he's referencing is the fact that Sinn Féin TDs will obviously uh, will often post online that they're wavering the pay rise. So Leo Varadkar wants to point out that he's been doing that since uh, 2016. But there will be a pay increase for the TDs, the senators and all of the ministers from uh, next week at a time when we're going to hear today that the living wage is so far off the minimum wage. That's not going to sit well with so many people. 0818 Lines are open. C103 Jobs. Ballyhay Preschool. They're looking for a preschool manager. Now, you need to have a minimum of three years' experience in running a preschool. Uh, Level 8 qualification is also desirable. Please apply by email to Ballyhay Preschool Board at gmail.com. Full and part time HGV mechanics required for the repair and servicing of trucks and trailers. A minimum, please, of five years' experience essential. CVs to John Paul Construction at gmail.com. Donkey Sanctuary in Lascarrel have a vacancy for a veterinary nurse. CVs to joanne.nevin at thedonkeysanctuary.ie. And a part-time accounts assistant is wanted at Munster Drone Services based in Mill Street. CVs and a cover letter, please, to HR at MunsterDroneServices.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. On Storm Magnus, the latest report in, uh, there's a tree down at the iron mines near uh, Mallow. Okay, so please drive with extreme uh, care because we're also hearing of a tree down at Hospital Hill in Canturk. There's a number of electricity uh, outages uh, as well. And Art Cahan Bridge in Dunmanway is flooding. People need to drive there with extreme care. There's reports of a tree down in Glanmire just before Monkey Maze uh, as well. And a report of a tree and wires down on the approach to Kilcully coming from Carrig Navarre. So, uh, I mean, the best bet is to try and stay indoors if you can but I accept that people need to be out and about you just need to drive slowly and with extreme care and let us know if you spot anything else that we can add to that list 0818 103 103 now with all government departments very much focused on next month's budget the Joint Committee on Disability Matters is calling on the government to align disability funding with the UN's convention on the rights of persons with disabilities to discuss some of what is contained in their pre-budget submission. I'm joined by the Chair of the Disability Matters Committee, uh, Deputy Michael uh, Moynihan. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Now, this is is an absolutely extensive uh, report that I read through uh, yesterday. Can you start firstly by explaining what you mean by aligning disability funding with the United Nations Convention? Well, I suppose the United Nations Convention uh, is a very powerful international document to make sure that people with disabilities lead their full lives and that the, their families, their communities are supported. And we, we have looked at, I suppose, in evidence that has been given from the lived experience of people with disabilities and their families and their communities, the challenges that are out there. We have evidence from, from people uh, they come to our meetings once a week and various different aspects are discussed. And we've always looked at the shortcomings, the challenges that are there. We've looked at other best practice in, in other countries and we have been in the United Nations looking at what they would 
prescribed for people with disabilities. Or we have a long ways to go in making sure that people with disabilities are fully funded and the sector is fully funded. And we've looked at a number of recommendations. We have a whole raft of recommendations in the in, in our report, and we got the report out in July this year because we feel that when it comes to September, October, everybody's clamouring for uh, funding in the budget and everybody's talking about the budget. So we got our report out early and get into the ministers and into the departments to try and get the mindset around what are the real challenges. And, uh, you know, we're one of the first committees that has actually drafted a pre-budget submission where so strong the committee feels about the challenges that are there. And like, there's a number of recommendations, but I think that there, there's ones that really stand out. And these are the ones that I've been talking to government about over the last number of weeks. Uh, pay parity within the sector. You know, some of the uh, people that are working within the Section 39 organisations doing the same job as that would be in the HSE funded uh, uh, service providers, but they're not getting the same pay and conditions. And that leads to a recruitment and retention within that sector. And the difficulty with it is that we see, you know, challenges then for the delivery of services, whether it is therapies uh, uh, right across the board or whether it is care. You know, there's huge challenges within the sector. And I think the real unfairness here was once upon a time, they were all paid the same rate. Absolutely. And like going back to 2007, 2008, they were all paid the same rate. Then there was the FEMPI cuts and then there was huge pressure put on the Section 39 organisations to reduce. And there was almost a hint that, you know, these that these organisations weren't, um, you know, as efficient as the state organisations. And whereas they were actually delivering a far better level of service because there was a human level to it, you know, that there was you know, people at the end of it, people within their communities that served within the boards or were within the management of those structures. And we can't allow that to be lost as well. You know, I suppose the ethos or the community ethos within the Section 39 organisations. So we have been, and I know that, you know, that there's been negotiations ongoing and, you know, from my understanding within government, they are looking at how they can realign these under the various pay negotiations. But it is a crucial one for me. And like we have been looking at pay parity and it has come up time and again within the Oireachtas uh, uh, Committee. Uh, apologies, there's a bill from the Shannon uh, okay. uh, on, the, on the background. But it's, it's, it's going to come to a head, Michael, next month. They're threatening indefinite strike action they from are the 17th. In, on, on the 17th. And I think myself, right, you know, now is the time to clearly show that government understand and accept that there is a huge challenge there within the Section 39 organisations. I suppose it's one thing that I have tried to, because I see because of that, the challenges that are faced by those service providers and the therapies and the people within their catchment areas not getting the proper services. So we have been challenging and that would that would be one of the number one and this is an issue that I have you know, we have been negotiating over the last year, year and a half, two years in relation to it. I suppose other issues are... But, but, but just, just on that point, just on, on a very personal note, and I, di- I did mention this uh, yesterday, uh, obviously if that indefinite strike goes ahead, I'll, I'll be personally affected in that my daughter attends a service under uh, St. Joseph's Foundation. She's only now, three years later, starting to come back out of herself from the effect of the shutdowns that happened because of the pandemic. There, there's, I, I can't allow that to happen to her again. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of so many other parents. Like heads have got to be knocked together so that this strike action doesn't go ahead. 
Well, absolutely. And, and discussions I've had this morning, I've made the very same point. You know, the service user and their families have really only got, you know, themselves back to where they were four years ago because of the various uh, cuts. And I, I did say it in, in various committees at, before I became chair of this, you know, the one people that were completely forgotten about during the shutdown, during the lockdowns, you know, the brutal uh, instrument that lockdowns were, were people with disabilities, their families and their communities. And I think, you know, we have looked at this under the UNCRPD, you know, in, in, in what is the proper protocol to have in place if a pandemic strikes, you know, 10, 15 or 100 years time, that these people have to be protected in a major, major way, the service users and their families. And I, they were really forgotten about. And, yeah. and, 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 you know... And they can't we, be forgotten about again. Yeah. And, okay. and if, we, if we allow a full all-out strike, we are going back to where we were in March of yeah. 2020. Yeah. And they, I think... I would hope that everybody accepts that that is not something that the state or the government or, the, you know, can allow to happen. Okay, and, uh, okay. The- and, and I know we'll, there'll be more spoken about it, I, I assume, between now and the 17th. But I want to go back to your pre-budget submission and actually something that we spoke about yesterday on the programme. Um, I spoke about medical cards in particular. It was for people with uh, spinal cord uh, injuries. And I think so many of our listeners were shocked to know that if you get, you know, a devastating spinal cord injury that God knows can happen to any one of us or any one of our loved ones, you're not automatically entitled to a medical card. You have to go through means testing. You have to go through means testing. And I suppose, you know, they say the first thing you have to do in, in any of the medical cards is you go through the means test and then the medical condition or the medical uh, issues are looked at on a concessionary basis or on, a, a, you know, an exceptional needs. So if somebody who has uh, spinal injury or, or an injury or, or an illness that is life-changing, uh, and and, a lo- and lifelong. You're never going to recover from it. That's right. Lifelong. And like, I mean, you know, very serious medical diagnosis. Uh, they look for a medical card. The next thing you say, well, we have to get your finances first. And then you're putting the burden on them to get, you know, documents and everything else. And they have so much going on in their head. And, it, you know, we would see in, in our own operation, we see you know, the pain to have to ask them for these documents to try and get it through. And, you know, if you have a very serious diagnosis, a medical diagnosis or a spinal injury or life-changing injuries, is one thing that should be automatic entitlement to medical card. And if it's only automatic entitlement to a medical card for a certain period of time to allow them to get all the documentation, that should be the case. But specifically with people with disabilities, and, you know, from a social point of view, I suppose the, the, the care of people with disabilities is changing, uh, and I would hope changing faster than in terms of social care rather than medical care. And there is an encouragement of uh, to get uh, people that are, uh, you know, able to participate in the workforce, maybe two or three days a week, or in terms of, of different social programs that are being developed o- over the while and get them there for therapeutic value you know get them out and uh, involved in their communities as well and the first thing that they will say is if i take this job for two or three days a week will it affect my well, medical yeah. card yeah we because heard that somebody, yesterday and it's yeah. it's stopping people leading an independent life and who want to contribute to society and who want to get back to work yeah and like what the, what i would say to us is the secondary benefits yeah, you know the medical card for somebody who has a disability is very, very precious because 
they don't know the time or the hour that they will need medical assistance. And the fear that they won't have that would stop them from participating in a small way in society. And like the secondary benefits, particularly the availability of the medical card, it should be sacrosanct that you have, I know that there is, when you go back to work, that there's a certain time period that you can hold on to your medical card, but that should be extended because if people uh, satisfy certain criteria to make sure that they have that cushion that they are comfortable in taking up employment. Yeah, but it should be a medical criteria, not, yes, not, not, not a financial now, And then on, on housing, coincidentally, we spoke with uh, the Cork Simon community this morning. We know we have a housing crisis. A uh, housing crisis, though, for people with housing needs for people with disabilities has to be looked at. It has. I suppose we are looking at, uh, in various discussions we have at the committee, about universal design, about making houses more accessible to people with disabilities. And we have some people, you know, who have come forward to us because of their circumstances of where they're living. You know, they're almost housebound because their mobility would be so curtailed that they won't be able to get in or out steps. And over the last while, we've seen costs increase dramatically. And the housing adoption grants that are available for people with disabilities or people to adopt their houses for them, they need to be increased in line with what are costs out there, it costs today rather than costs over there three, five, six or seven years ago. But there's also an issue in terms of providing housing for people with disabilities. And going back over the last 15, 20 years ago, it was very easy for communities to come together to form a voluntary housing body and to get funding under the capital assistance programme. That now is so difficult because we saw an awful lot of uh, what were classified as sheltered houses uh, or uh, houses that were built by communities. And they were powerful additions to the housing need for our communities. And we need to make sure that the, that the red tape and bureaucracy that has developed around them is eased off and is encouraged. Because, you know, even the Section 39 organisations going back over the years, you know, they would have got funding for uh, three and four bedroom houses. And in, in, under the decongregation, they would have been able to have uh, long term residential units for people with disabilities. You know, life-changing when, you know, when they're getting older, their parents are getting older, and that they're looking for, you know, to ensure that there is some place for them in sheltered accommodation. But that has become more challenging and more difficult. And we should be encouraging, because a lot of these Section 39 organisations benefited from that, and some have been to 15 years ago since they actually drew down the schemes. But we should make sure that that funding is available and given to the Section 39 organisations, mm-hmm. because I believe myself that the ethos of those organisations uh, leads to better delivery uh, for people with disabilities, their families and their communities. Okay, all right. Um, and I'm, I'm conscious of, of time is against us. People are asking about carers. Uh, are family carers being mentioned? And you have <laughs> recommendations around family carers. I have, yes. And I, like family carers, you know, they provide a huge service to society and any cost-benefit analysis would show that they, they are saving the state hugely. But the carers benefit came in uh, 25 years ago. It was a, a new scheme that, you know, if you had a PRSI payment, you'd get the carers benefit for two years. And uh, with my discussions with government ministers and, uh, and departments over the last few days, I've making the point, you know, that that needs to be looked at. It is a quarter of a century since that was actually looked at in a meaningful way. Because 
people because of a, a, a parent or a sibling or a child that is in need of full-time care, they would have been working and one or other of the partners takes uh, time uh, out and they get the care's benefit for two years. But it's an indefinite, you know, it goes, it, it's indefinite and that they should be looked at if they have, like, I would think that the care should be given if you are providing the care in the first instance, if it was care assist rather than means assist, and that the care the carers allowance it is a small amount of money, uh, but it he would help people just you know to help people to provide that care within the community. So I think the carers allowance is another issue uh, that I have been uh, I suppose uh, making a lot of noise over the years. But I do think that the, that the carers the, the I suppose the condition or the the criteria for uh, people to get carers should be looked at and certainly something that was implemented in 1998 needs to be reviewed to bring it into the what is needed in 2023 and 2024. Okay, okay so I, and the ultimate goal is is a needs-led and a right-based disability service. I mean, well, that's see, really what this is all about. It, it, absolutely. Like, I mean, the, the UN Convention says the rights base that everybody, you know, has, a, 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 I suppose, a, a human right to the proper care, and we are trying to bring that about. But some of the evidence that we hear on a weekly basis is very stark, and it is very challenging for us. And like we work in, as a committee, we work very hard to try and highlight that and bring a spotlight to the challenges that are being faced by families, uh, by people with disabilities and their families and their communities on a weekly basis. But now is our time to try and highlight as we run into the budget these are the challenges, and you know, you giving me airtime this morning helps me in making that case. Okay. Not just uh, 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 in Dublin, but just okay. to make sure that. Okay, and listeners are saying, abandoned listeners are saying, simply the the answer is more money needs to be put into disability. And then a lovely text in saying a huge thank you to Michael Moynihan and the Committee on Disability Matters. They've done so much to highlight the needs of vulnerable adults and special needs children, their lived experience and reality. And that's from Catherine and uh, Joey Deneen. OK, listen, we leave it there, uh, Micah. We wish you luck with all of your recommendations. It runs to uh, nearly 60, uh, I think, fingers crossed, that you'll get some of them across the line. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. No bother. Thank you. Good morning thank to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is the chair of the Disability Matters Committee, Deputy Michael Moynihan. 0818-103-103. Branches down at Ballybeg on the approach into Butterfin, somebody's just telling us, and also the from the Spa Road to Oliver's Cross outside of Mallow. That particular stretch of road is starting to flood. A text in from a listener to saying that there is a large amount of water flowing down into Inishannon Village. It's causing a lot of flooding. The listener said, please take care if you're heading into or out of Inishannon. Now this Friday marks the launch of Chicksaw's National Compliment Day fundraiser. It's a new event and is dedicated to changing the lives of children and young adults for the better through the power of a compliment. To find out more I'm joined by Justin McDermott who is Jigsaw's fundraising manager. Good morning to you Justin. Good morning Patricia. Can I just say you sound very well today? <laughs> We're already in with the compliments and you're equally sounding as good, uh, Justin. Is there actual evidence there that a compliment can actually lift a person's mood? 
Absolutely. Well, like just in terms of the evidence that we see every day, Patricia, in our work and when we meet young people, um, we know that the power of kindness and compassion and a nice word or a compliment has on changing how a young person might see themselves or might change the direction or, or the challenges that they're experiencing in, in their life. Um, so so we have no, we're under no, um, or sorry, we have, we have significant experience of the power of compliments. And I think, I think as well, um, you know, if we think back to our own life, Patricia, we think to the times where, you know, we might not have a good day or somebody might have said something as in that was a great job or you're looking well today or I like that, that jacket or whatever, that, that, that stays with you. And if you're not in a good place that day or if you're going through a tough time, that, that positive affirmation, that compliment, that 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 gift of kindness that that person gives can change your your experience in that day, and and in some ways can change your view on yourself. Which, as we know from our work supporting young people and their mental health, um, how important that can be. So that's why we're really excited, looking forward to National Compliment Day on Friday to uh, you know to to uh, get uh, utilize the power of compassion. Yeah, and it's funny when when I when I knew you were coming on the program, I was thinking about um, compliments. And I was thinking back, even when I was in school, the teachers that stand out in my mind are the teachers who were very positive and were very complimentary and told me I was doing well, rather than the teachers who were say putting me down and the teachers that were good at complimenting you and you know telling you were do, doing well. They were the subjects that I excelled in. Yeah, and you know it's a very interesting point you make there because, you know. One thing that's 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 key to our work and key to our experience of working with young people, and indeed it's key, it's it's proven in in our own research, is that you know the role that a, that a supportive adult or the role that another person plays in the life of young people, particularly a, a supportive adult, we call that in Jigsaw, we call that one good adult, uh, Patricia, and you know it, it, you're absolutely right. Um, you know the one good adult is the is the is the person in a young person's life. Again, that could be a parent, it could be a granny, a granddad, it could be a teacher, like you'd met you mentioned could be a coach it could be you know a colleague um but somebody who you know shows kindness and compassion to that young person and that does stay with them and that does as you said it it is it is a really important support um for for their mental health and and i think we again we hear that day in day out with our work that you know i was able to turn to my mom or my dad or i was able you know my teacher uh, was a great support to me or my hurling coach was a great support and told me to contact jigsaw and you know would help so you're absolutely right and again you know this Friday is, is a fundraiser for Jigsaw. You know, we are looking to raise money so we can help and support more young people. Uh, but also it's a way of, you know, promoting kindness and compassion because we all know only too well that the world can seem like a dark place at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, but, but as a nation, we're not, some of us, we're not great at taking compliments though. Ah, we have a very complex, uh, complicated relationship <laughs> with uh, with compliments, Patricia. I think we'd all agree that we we tend to kind of shift uncomfortably in our seats or get slightly embarrassed or deflect. But again, it goes back to your point, though, uh, about your experience in school. You know, even though we might have a, uh, you know, a weird kind of a relationship with being given a compliment, actually, when we think about those times where, where we mightn't have been going through a good time in our life and somebody did say something nice to us or they compliment us on something that we were doing or wearing and how we looked, or whatever that that does stay with you does, and, does. and we always say that that it, you know you never really know what another person is thinking or experiencing or going through and you never really know how you know a kind word can actually change not just 
them in that moment, but could actually change um, positively the direction that they're heading in terms of their mental health. And again, you know, that's something that we see and hear day in, day out in our work in Jigsaw. And that's why, you know, a National Compliment Day, really what we're asking people to do is on that day, you know, show kindness and compassion to the people that you care about, the people around you. And if you can at all, um, we would we would need your support and you can donate uh, to the campaign by going into, if there's a Starbucks, because Starbucks are supporting us, you can go into your local Starbucks and donate to Jigsaw there. Or you can visit our weeks, uh, our, our website site jigsaw.ie forward slash Eurostar. So it can be as simple as you're going in maybe to buy your morning coffee, say something nice to the person who's serving you your coffee, for example. It can be as simple as that or a work colleague, whatever it is. Just just take time out to be kind to somebody else. Yeah, or if you're sitting having your breakfast and you're looking across the table to your better half or your kids <laughs> or you're, you know, walking in the door uh, to work or you're going on that Zoom call, you know, maybe Friday's the day when we say, you know, I think you're great or you're doing a good job or thanks a million for all your help and support. And again, it's retrospective because, you know, as I said, people are are in Ireland have a complex relationship with with uh, with compliments. But I think, you know, that that idea of the momentum of compliment that, you know, you give somebody a compliment, they pay it forward and they pay it forward. Again, you never know how that could trigger a series of, of um, experiences in people's lives that could change their, their day and their life for the better. And that's what we think the power of compliments is all about. And that's why we're so excited to about Friday. Yeah, I have a better half, Justin, who's very grouchy in the morning, but I'm going to do my level best on Friday <laughs> to flood him with compliments over the breakfast table. Talk to me well, about... Well, hopefully, hopefully he's listening and he'll do the same. Yeah, that's all yeah. I'm Talk to me though, a little bit. Just remind us about Jigsaw and the work that you actually do, Justin. Yeah, so we're uh, the National uh, Youth Mental Health Charity. So the work that we do, Patricia, is that we provide um, support, uh, one-to-one talk therapy support to young people who are going through a tough time with their mental health. So that's young people who could be experiencing increased anxiety, stress, um, they could be sad. They could be experiencing, you know, low mood, depression, etc. So we provide uh, one-to-one care and support to young people. We do it. We have a, a service in, in in Cork City. We have a service there just um, on Waynesford Quay near Washington Street. Um, we also have thirteen other services across the country, um, and uh, where we provide that 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 free one-to-one support for young people. And as well as that, Patricia, you know, not surprisingly, we're providing an increasing range of services supports for young people um, online because you know not every Everybody, not every young person can access um, our service, can, you know, can get in literally into, into our service in Cork City and indeed across the country. So and we know that young people are much are, are increasingly accessing um, support online. So we're, we have um, services online. But again, it's not just about young people, too. We also provide an increasing range of service supports and advice and guidance to parents, to teachers, to coaches uh, and to adults who are, are working with or have young people in their life. Um, and again, you know, if anybody there uh, is, is listening and, and feels like they would need support or somebody that they care about, a young person in their life needs support, please visit our website, jigsaw.ie, to find out more. Okay, I was on your website yesterday. You really have a fantastic uh, website, jigsaw.ie. And uh, Justin, I take it, are you busier than ever? Yeah, we are. We are. You know, we're, we're seeing unprecedented demands. Um, I think, you know, certainly we we, we had all recognised that um, the last number of years, you know, during COVID and post-COVID have had significant impacts on our all our mental health, but particularly on young people. So we are certainly seeing more and more young people coming to us for help and support. But Patricia, I would say that that's, that's, that's a challenge for us as an organisation to deal with, but it's also a really positive thing because that means that more young people who otherwise would be facing darkness and feel like there's no light or nowhere to turn 
turn to, they actually now are coming to us and recognising and realising that they need help. And isn't it great that we are here to be able to support them? But I think we can only do that and continue to grow our service supports with the support of people in the community. And that's why National Compliment Day as our fundraising drive this Friday is so important. So as I said, if um, people can support uh, us and, and donate to Jigsaw um, by on this Friday by calling into the local Starbucks, if there's one in their community, and if not, they can visit our website, jigsaw.ie forward slash Eurostar, where they can donate uh, to make sure that we can support more and more young people when they need us most. Well done. And you are, this isn't, a, well, it is a compliment, but it's not a, it's not an add-on. You're a fantastic advocate on behalf of Jigsaw. Uh, so well done to you, Justin. Listen, good luck with the day and thanks a million for joining us today. Thanks so much. Good Cheers. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Justin McDermott and you can check it all out on jigsaw.ie. We're hearing a flights that have been diverted now and there has been some ferry sailings that have been uh, cancelled and thank you to a huge number of people who are sending us in information on trees down. There's a number of uh, power outages and there's a number of roads uh, flooded as well. So please, uh, if you can avoid travel at the moment, please do. Even though I'm looking out the window now, it seems to have calmed a little bit. We decided to bring Adam O'Reilly from Carlo Weather, a man who's very busy today, but we've asked him to take time out just to update us on what's happening. Good afternoon to you, Alan. Hi, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It seems to have eased a little bit here. Is it, has it blown over us for parts of Cork or where are we at? So the eye of the storm is just coming into the southwest now. So some areas will actually see blue skies for a little while. But there is still more strong winds to come with the centre of the storm Peaking probably around now in some parts of North Cork, but still very strong winds for the next few hours. So, you know, the storm hasn't passed by any means. Still very strong winds to come for the next couple of hours. The strongest of the winds may well have just hit some parts of the south, but you will still get some sudden gusts and still very strong winds right through the afternoon. It'll be evening time really before the ease. Uh, Was it as bad as you thought it would be? Um, it looks based on kind of the data at the moment. The top gust so far was 111 kilometres now at Shirkin Island. Now, you know, you probably will have had stronger winds than that. We don't have weather stations everywhere. Looking at the reports coming through from Cork, there's a lot of trees down, a lot of power outages and some local flooding. It does look like Cork has uh, hit the brunt of it, got the brunt of it at the moment. Um, so pretty much as forecast, um, it has varied a little bit. Those gusts do vary a little bit from location to location. Um, and as I said, we still have some very strong winds. Like in Carlo here where I am, it's still only really kind of after getting going in the last hour. Um, so it's moving up across the country. But yeah, pretty much as forecast. Hopefully maybe not quite as high as some of the gusts had shown. OK, and the status orange wind and rain warning, they're, they remain, they're still in place, aren't they? Until 5pm this evening, yeah. And that's why I'm saying you're still going to have very strong winds. And you may get these little lulls. Um, as the centre of the storm moves through and you may even see some blue skies but don't be tempted to go out for a walk um, if you don't need to because you know the, the weather will turn again and there will still be some very strong winds and obviously looking at some of the pictures I've shared there from Cork some very large trees have come down yeah. so just be very very careful of that and I think added to that you know we're, we're getting lots of listeners texting in about uh, trees and down but there's a lot of water there's been a lot of rainfall there has there's been a very heavy rainfall and there has been a number of local flooding events reported um, and there is a risk of some coastal flooding over the next couple of hours as well. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. Um, I, I just shared a video there, a report of some of the, 
the top of a roof in Yall has been ripped off a building as well. So, you know, there's the, the, the conditions are moving up along the south southeast coast as well. So if people maybe are in the car listening to this, just be very, very careful because, you know, certainly some areas have not seen the worst of storm magnets yet. And uh, a number of, as I mentioned, electricity power outages. I mean, the ESB networks, they won't go out, they won't start fixing things yet, will they? It's... Well, they're incredible, the crews, but no, they have to wait until it's safe. Now, obviously, they'll do an assessment on each individual uh, kind of situation, but with trees still coming down, you know, the power outages could last. So if you do have a large power outage or a power outage in your area, always check on your elderly neighbours, make sure that they have heat. Now, thankfully, it's not too cold Mm. at the moment, so it's not a big concern from that point of view. But still, it's not nice if you're you know, vulnerable or elderly on your own and it's going to go into a dark evening with no lights. So just everybody look out for each other yeah. and hopefully the ESB crews can, can get going soon. Good advice, good advice. And as you mentioned yesterday uh, to us, Alan, you know, if there is a tree down in your, in your area, uh, farmers in particular are always very good to try and go out and move the tree to keep the flow of traffic going. You yesterday were saying to people, until the storm has fully passed, you need to be very careful. Yeah, and sadly we've seen a number of events over the years where people have tried to be the the good person and go out and help and cut a tree or move a tree and end up being hit by another tree that has come down. And there is still very strong gusts for another few hours. So I, I wouldn't be going out touching any trees for the next couple of hours, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously everybody, again, can assess the safety. Maybe there's no other trees around or whatever. But if you do have other trees near you, just be very wary because... You know, you could get a lull and think, OK, I'll go out and I'll tackle this tree and then all of a sudden another tree comes down on top of you. So just uh, another few hours. Like, we're not talking about days here. We're talking about hours. So just, just a little bit of patience. Yeah. OK, listen, uh, as always, pleasure to speak with you, um, Alan. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Trisha. Take care. And you could keep up with uh, all of Alan's. He's just, he has a superb social media account, uh, Carlo uh, Weather, if you want to uh, follow uh, Alan O'Reilly. OK, some of uh, calls coming into us. The Gardaí have just been on. They're closing the N20 from Kiri's Garage, the N20 Plaza, heading towards the new two-pot house. And this is due to the rising water levels and uh, flooding. Now, diversions will be put in place. Trees are also down on the roads near Bottomant. They're the, I, I assume they're the checks we had earlier from uh, Ballybeg heading into uh, Bottomant. And the Spa Glen area of Mallow is continuing to uh, flood. But uh, that section of the N20 closed towards New Tupot House. Please follow the diversions. And then a listener was on to say there is a telegram wire hanging onto the road on the Dungorny Road out of Lyre. Now, this isn't down to Storm Agnes. It's been there for about a week, but the listener said he wasn't able to get in touch with anyone in order to sort it out. It actually broke his windscreen last week. Now today in the storm, the wind is blowing it like a whip. So motorists need to please be very careful and actually avoid that areas on the road, uh, the Kilcorny Road out of Lyre. Can you keep a, a look out for that? OK, other updates that we're getting. We got that call in that um, Alan just mentioned there. The roof came off a building at Yall Strand and emergency services are en route there. I'll just show you how strong the winds have been. Kilumny is flooded, impassable for cars, we're told. And also the road from Kilumny to Cross Barry, that's also impassable. And the Spa Road to Oliver's Cross, a lot of water on the road there. I have a funny feeling that's
that's going to become impassable uh, soon enough uh, because we'll be getting calls in about that particular area all uh, morning. That's the Kilomni Road. I've given that one now. Thank you to people who are getting in with their own um, with their own announcements just in case we haven't heard about it. And we really do appreciate it. Just uh, keep them all uh, coming and we try and put our lists together and update people as best we can. There's a tree down on the Boherbui to Canturk uh, Road. Uh, you need to be very careful uh, there. OK, again, I think the best suggestion is to try to stay off the roads uh, if you can at all possible because we've got emergency services trying to get to the scene of uh, some of those events. 0818 103 103. Our lines remain uh, open. And John says, Patricia, advise listeners about the trees down in Money Lee Dunmanway. The road is actually impassable at the moment. But John wants to point out that this is actually the same area that has been mentioned several times on the programme where pleas have been made to trim the hedges and cut down some of the overhanging trees by road users before the winter sets in. And here we go. Nobody was listening. Nobody heeded the warnings that were coming from people regularly on that road. And now we have a situation where the road is impassable. That's in Money Lee in the Domanway area. Thank you for your text, uh, John. Uh, 0862103103. Keep your texts and WhatsApps coming. Uh, we're also looking for gardening questions. We're going to be armchair gardeners today, but Peter has promised to join us. So if you have a question for Peter, just to distract us completely from the storm, you can get those in or you can call John. Paul on 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Glasslin Choir in Bandon, they are restarting rehearsals this evening. Now, there are three part ladies' community choirs. If you can hold a note at all and would like to join, you can email glasslinchoir at gmail.com. Ardfield Rathbury Gardening Club, they're meeting tomorrow in the Parish Hall in Rathbury at 8 o'clock and their guest speaker is going to be Matty from Future Forest in Kalekill. They'll be serving teas and coffees and there also will be plants for sale tomorrow evening. The annual Marymount Coffee Morning and Raffle will be held this Friday in the Gold Post in Shanagarry. Now it's from 10am to 1230 on Friday morning and entertainment on the day will be by Podrick Parker. The Sacred Heart Parish, their pilgrimage to Knock is also taking place on a Friday. The bus will depart the church grounds early start, 7.30am and they're expecting to be back in Cork for about 9.15. The cost is €50. Euro. Now the €50 euro includes your bus travel. It also includes meals, 021 4346711. And Newmarket Sports and Leisure are organising a scrap metal collection. Now, it's a fundraiser for local amenities in the Newmarket area. They're holding it on Friday and Saturday. Friday, they're collecting items between 5 and half past seven and then they'll be back again on Saturday from 9.30 to 4.30 and the collection point for your scrap metal is the AstroTurf car park at the GAA grounds in Newmarket. They are looking for all types of metal. They'll even take old farm machinery. They'll take tractors and cars, copper, brass, stainless steel, lead and aluminium, tractor batteries plus motors and engines all will be accepted free of charge. Now, if you need collection, if your item... 
you can't get it to their collection, then they have a service available. You can call. You need to book that though. 087 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And thank you to somebody who's just sent me in uh, a video of that roof coming off uh, the building at the All uh, Strand. Uh, it's incredible. It really is incredible, but it just shows how wild it is out there. And they're asking people to avoid the area because even on the, in the video clip, you can see cars driving uh, by. Uh, please be careful because the roof is kind of hanging off as well. Uh, there's a lot of debris uh, coming off with it. So please be very, very careful and avoid seafronts, uh, I think is the main message uh, coming in for everyone to keep safe. A couple of things have been cancelled for tonight. The tea dance in Watergrass Hill. Well, actually, that was due to be on this afternoon. That They've taken the wise decision, I think, to cancel that in Watergrass Hill. And Theo Park's Rambling House, that was due to be held tonight, but they've decided to cancel it due to the bad weather conditions and the danger of falling trees for the safety of all of the friends of at Theo Park. And they're going to reschedule it and hold it on Sunday afternoon, the 15th of October instead. And we'll remind you of that closer uh, to the uh, date. But cancel for tonight. That's the Theo Park Rambling House and the tea dance in Watergrass Hill is also cancelled. If anybody else knows the cancellations, let us know, please. Noreen in Formoy is looking for advice uh, relating really to Storm Magnus. She said, what can she do? She lives beside a neighbour who is refusing to cut down trees. See, I mean, the council has been on and he has still refused to cut them down. Today, she's living in fear with the high winds. Uh, she's in for more and she said it's really bad at the moment and she's watching these trees from her neighbours, fearful if any of them come down, they're going to land, obviously, on her uh, property. Well, I, I would get back on to the council because I don't think if the council have told him to cut them down and he doesn't do it, then normally what happens is the council will move in, they'll cut them and if they're a danger, they'll cut them and then they'll bill him. So, I mean, I would get back on to uh, the council, particularly as you seem to be totally living in fear. Remember, this is the first storm. Storm Agnes is the first storm of the season. We're not going to get away that lightly to expect that we won't have any more storms uh, before the end of the uh, winter. I can see questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming, please. 0818 103 103. And then people commenting on other issues that we were addressing today. I mentioned that public servants, which includes all all of our TDs, our government ministers, our senators all going up from uh, this weekend. Uh, John isn't happy or pleased with our current Minister for Agriculture. He feels the current Minister for Agriculture is not good for farmers. Would others agree? We need a change there in that post. If not, we need an election, says John. Our other's not happy with the current Minister for Agriculture. And then Pat says, Patricia, listening to you calling out the wage increases for our TDs and senators, it sounds to me they're a little bit like RTE. They're all going to make millions out of their life in politics and they don't seem to have shame. Even if you're halved their wages, they would still be on very, very high uh, wages uh, indeed. Well, well, they would because if you're halved, for example, the Taoiseach salary is €234,000. So if you halved that, he'd uh, still be on 100 and. 
15,000 odd euro. It would still be a, a high, high uh, wage packet uh, for sure. 0818103103. We talked, we spoke about compliments when we were talking about the wonderful charity Jigsaw that does fantastic work with uh, young people in this country and they're trying to, st- it, it, this is their first time doing it as a national compliment day and, and obviously the uh, idea of it, if they can get it off the ground this year, they will make it an annual event and you know, hopefully it'll become something as successful as something like um, Pieta, Pieta House walk uh, into darkness into light or something like the Cancer Society and their wonderful daffodil day. It'd be lovely to see Jigsaw take off with this on National Compliment Day. So the idea is they want us all to compliment people on Friday and if at the same time you can donate to Jigsaw it would be great. And I mentioned that uh, you know while we mightn't be great as a nation at receiving compliments I do remember in school uh, a particular uh, well two teachers really that I would remember who were who were always really good at uh, complimenting and encouraging and telling you you were doing well and you know coincidentally they become became some of the subjects that I was particularly good at and I, and I have often thought thought back about it and it was because of the way the teachers were in the uh, in the classrooms uh, including one teacher who will always stand out has been so so positive Sister Nula she was a Loretta nun she's still with us um, fantastic woman absolutely fantastic woman and I spoke a number of years ago I had her in studio with some of the Leaving Cert students she was involved with the choir she was great for singing and uh, um, and I mentioned to these stu- Leaving Cert students that Sister Nula had been one of my first teachers in primary school and uh, what was she like as a, as a teacher and all of them just reflected back to me everything that I felt about her. So as she went through her teaching career, she never lost it, which is fantastic. That prompted somebody to say, well, Patricia, I went to a convent school in the 70s and there was one nun who constantly used to say to me well you're not like your sister and she was always putting me down and I know to this day that stayed that stayed with me it's actually stayed with me all of uh, my life see what you need to try and do is because I can also I can give you the names of nuns who did something similar with me and I was the fourth of I had four sis- three sisters so I was the fourth girl the youngest one and sort of the wildest one and would you believe the most chattiest one uh, so I was constantly being compared to my sisters and it used to make my blood boil. It used to actually make me worse when I was being, because uh, that's the one thing you should never do is is compare, particularly with siblings. Uh, but what I've learned to do over the years is you just forget about that. Instead, home in on, there has to have been an honour or a teacher who taught you in primary or secondary school that you can look back on and remember with a smile and, and think of something nice that they said to you and home in on that. I, I really think that's what we have to learn to do. Forget about the nasty comments uh, over the years and we just have to learn to accept accept compliments, which which is one of the points that I made when I was spoke, speaking with uh, Justin. We're just not great at that. You know, if, if anybody says to me, God, you're looking well, you've lost weight, you'll immediately say, oh, you have more to lose. Now, the famous one for us females, oh, your, your top is gorgeous. Pennies, girl, you know, straight away. Or this old thing, oh, I have it ages. Instead of, why can't we just smile and say, thank you. Yeah, I feel good in this. Well, so we have to do. We have to learn to give compliments, give more compliments. That's what we're hoping to do on Friday. But we have to also learn to uh, receive them. Now, I touched on medical cards again today. Now, we had this on the programme yesterday when we were speaking about people with very, very serious spinal cord injuries, people who end up in wheelchairs, uh, some of them, all of them paralysed for life. There's no coming back from a very severe spinal cord injury and to discover that those people who have spinal cord injuries have to go through a means test for a medical card, which just seems incredible. And of course, the Spinal Injuries Ireland was saying 
the danger then is that people who would like to go back out to work, maybe even part time, fearful of earning an extra little bit of money because we know how strict the means test is and they could end up losing the medical card and that's too much of a danger to them because of their injury. They need to have the medical help available to them. And it's not just going to the doctor and getting a prescription. There's a whole host of other things that come with having a medical card. Well, that prompts listeners to say, hi Patricia, I want to remain anonymous. That's fine. I'm under 30 diagnosed with uh, a tumour God help you uh, it required radiation and chemotherapy I actually found applying for the medical card extremely stressful and I have to admit I would have struggled to get mine only for the help of Una in Sean Sherlock's office it had actually been suggested to me at the hospital to contact my local TD when applying for the medical card and amazing as Una was we shouldn't have to go to a politician to get a medical card but by the way I would like to thank uh, both of them so much yeah, um, and I hope you're doing well. I hope your your journey is, your, your cancer journey is going well and that you're well on the road uh, to recovery. And I agree with you. It uh, It is shocking that we have to waste politicians' time in going through the process of applying for a medical card. A medical card you're entitled to because of your cancer diagnosis. And I know it's interesting that the hospital is saying to people, go, go, go on to your local TD. We constantly do it here. We constantly hear from listeners who are struggling. And, you know, for many people, they reach out to the local radio station. And John Paul is, is, is a mine of information and he's, he's great at getting things sorted for people. But things like that, when it comes to something like a medical card, you know, we'll constantly say to people, who's your nearest, you know, where are you living and, you know, who's your nearest, who's your local TD, have your relationship with your local TD, even for people that don't have relationships with their local TD, just going into the TD's office. But it is, and what a waste of time it is for the staff at our TD's office that they have to get involved in this. We should be making the process easier for people when you're entitled to something. You shouldn't have to nearly tell your life story in order to get something, particularly, I think, when it comes to serious illness. And that's why when I read through the recommendations from the Disability Matters, there is a section on it about medical cards and making the medical cards easier for people to apply for. And then don't go through this ridiculous things of looking for reviews as if somebody with a spinal cord injury from year to year that their their disability is going to improve. It, they have that for life. You know, it's just, it, it frustrates the absolute life out of me. I remember many years ago with, with Marsha, my daughter, who is um, deaf blind and somebody asking me, somebody ringing up, I can't remember what, what it is, connect, what was in, in, in connection with um, but they wanted to know had, had her sight improved in any way and I just remember the frustration on, on the phone saying she's blind and the, pers- the other person on the phone said is she blind blind as opposed to um, as opposed to having a bit of sight I couldn't believe it I just I just remember the frustration of it and I remember verbalising back saying yeah she's blind blind and the person said alright okay sorry and then hung up just yeah so it's the you're, you're battling Everywhere you go, you're battling enough and you can imagine getting a diagnosis of a tumour and everything that comes with that and the journey you have to go on and the treatment journey you have to go on and you just you want to focus on getting well and yet endless paperwork is put in front of you and people ringing up questioning things. It's just, it's shocking. That system so has to change. Thank you, by the way, for reaching out and sharing that uh, with us. And just staying on medical cards because it came up yesterday on the programme. Somebody said, Patricia, I was listening to the repeat of your programme uh, last night and you spoke about the fuel allowance for over 70s and I'm at a loss because even if you're over 70s it still is means tested and anyone who has over 50k in the bank is out having worked all my life most retired people will have a lump sum 
home in the bank or by way of an investment. Am I wrong? Because I obviously did not then apply, uh, but I would welcome it. I'm living in a very cold uh, house, says uh, a Kerry a listener. I, yeah, I know what they did with the medical card for over 70s. They changed it in the last budget so that people could earn more by way of a pension. Now, the savings and the uh, investments, uh, I think, have stayed the same. I don't know if they have changed. They certainly are allowing the over 70s to earn uh, more. Uh, For example, if you've got some kind of a, you know, a a pension, they are now entitled to €550 a week for a single person or €1,050 for a married couple or people cohabiting or in a civil partnership. And that pushed a lot of people and then were allowed to get the fuel allowance. People who were over 70 and might have been just slightly small little bit of a pension coming in every every month a private pension that was putting them over the uh, limit I'm just checking on citizens information and the assessment for capital and property and your, your property doesn't come into it but uh, savings are similar investments it's 36 euro for a single person 72 euro 72,000 euro for a couple are disregarded. But as I always say to people, particularly when they change the rules uh, this year, if it only came in in January, if when you last applied, I would apply again. You just, you never know. Just keep trying. You might, you might end up coming out with um, with something out of it. It's it's always worth it. It's just always worth uh, applying. Good luck with it. 1850 I spoke about the minimum wage that's going to be announced today. This is from the Living Wage Technical Group who have looked at the cost of, of living. It's a group of academics, union officials and social justice workers and they come out every year and they say what a single person who's working would need and what the minimum wage would be. And this doesn't mean that they would have a very flahulic lifestyle but it's a minimum wage that will allow them uh, a basic you know, participating in society. They say like uh, going to the cinema every two months or being able to buy two novels a year. It doesn't sound like a lot does it and includes um, somebody paying their television uh, licence and it's come out at the figure should be €14.80 and I was making the point that the minimum wage at the moment is only €11.30 so it's two fifty off that mark. Well somebody says even allowing for €15 an hour as a living wage they aren't living on the real planet. This is the problem. We have academics who are on a lot more than €15 an hour. This increase uh, is going to be they're not giving it by the way but if it was given they would be eaten up by taxes and increases on fuels they can dress, dress it up whatever they, way they want even 15 euro an hour as a living wage is not enough well they they have all the formula and they say that you could you can somehow participate in society well to anyone though who's earning 11 euro 30 on the minimum wage I think they'd be happy to be getting uh, 15 euro uh, an hour 0818 103. Uh, John Paul is uh, taking your calls. Uh, you can also text us. Joe has been on to say I was he was in bed for nearly 18 months uh, with uh, tuberculosis when he returned to school on the first day back. He got a bamboo across the face from somebody fighting in the classroom, but none of us would own up to who was fighting. Uh, Joe says that will always be his memory from a school. Michael says. Uh, he remembers a teacher who used to prod us with a knitting needle. Uh, listen, and we all have, people have horrific stories, people of a certain age have horrific stories when corporal punishment uh, was, allow- was uh, allowed. But as I keep saying, try and focus on the positive teachers that pass through your life uh, over the years. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp, particularly your gardening questions, please, for Peter 0862 
103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. And sitting in the comfort of your armchair, that's the kind of gardening we're doing uh, today. A lot of questions uh, coming in for Peter Dowdrill, theirishgardener.com. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon. Like you were saying, people sitting in the armchair, and that's the only type of gardening I would recommend today, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of trees. We're getting a lot of reports in of uh, trees down. Some of them are very old trees. It's sad, but you know, it, it's it's very sad to see a big tree coming down, an old tree coming down. But it's uh, it's kind of it's also if you look at it the other way around, it's in the way of things. These things happen, and I suppose uh, when that comes down, that's one ecosystem going, but it's it's leaving space for a new one to begin. So mm. it, it's it's constantly changing, always changing. But it's always um, worthwhile following a storm like today's storm tomorrow to go out if you do have trees to make and look and see, you know, branches can get damaged. They mightn't have come down completely, but they could come down on the next storm. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and particularly with the amount of water as well, the soil is going to be so much softer. And if we do get another gust of wind, trees will, will be loosened today, if you like, and they will become vulnerable Say in immediate danger would be branches that may have been kind of half blown off or some bit of damage. Always better to to get the tree surgeons in and get the preempt the damage. And whilst it may cost you a few euros, it'll cost you a lot less than than a branch or a tree falling on top of the car or on top of the house. So uh, it do take action with with trees. Uh, not not no not today, but after the event. Yes. Okay, some of the questions coming in. Uh, George is harvesting apples, or he was this week, in his orchard. Now, he said some of them are going off and actually beginning to rot. He's wondering, does he put the ones that are rotting onto his compost heap or would there be a danger he'd spread disease? No, compost. They put them into the compost heap. No, uh, unless they were diseased in the first place. And you know what? Even then, I'd still am putting them in, in into the compost bin. Absolutely no problem, yeah. Uh, when is the right time to plant rhubarb stools? You plant them during the winter, really. You plant them kind of any time between November and February when they're dormant. That's when they're lifted out of the ground. We're lifted earlier and then you for replanting any time between November and February um, if you can get them pot grown so that they're not just stools they're actually growing plants uh, you may be able to get them growing in pots in garden centres in which case you can plant them at any time of the year but if you're planting them bare root as just stools that will be during the middle of the winter yeah Hi uh, Peter I've dahlias growing in pots in a poly tunnel do I leave them dry out or do I need to empty them out of the pots when they're when they're finished flowering, so I suppose yeah. What what you should do with with dahlias, there, but you treat them a bit like bulbs, Trish, in that you take the tubers out of the ground when they're finished flowering and plant them out. Then late in, later in the year or earlier the following year, if you know what I mean, so you plant them out again in kind of February. But when you have them growing in a pot, the reason you do that is to, in case they, they get overly wet during the winter or in case it gets particularly cold during the winter. But when you have them growing as the colour has in pots in a polytunnel those kind of risks are gone from you really because you can control the environment so yeah I would certainly just let them dry out and leave them in the pots in a polytunnel situation yeah Okay gardening question for Peter when is the best time to move a Mount Brescia plant the wild orange flower 
the best time to move anything is during the winter months because that's when, when you're taking it out of the soil that's when the, the plants aren't active so that any damage that you do to the root system uh, you know can, can be fixed before it starts growing now Montbrecia uh, whilst it's beautiful, beautiful in the wild, it's a thug of a plant, so it really doesn't matter when you lift it, you're not going to damage it, it'll grow anytime. Um, so the, 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 the advice remains, the correct time to do it will be during the winter months, but if you needed to move it earlier, uh, you, you will get away with it. It'll die back for the rest of this year, but it'll come on no problem next year. Now, just... Um, just to note, of course, that you're not supposed to take anything from the wild, so don't remove it from the wild. But if it's in your garden and you, you want to move it somewhere, then that's fine. But it'd be during, as I say, ideally the winter months. So you're not allowed, because there's always a lot of Montbrecia in, I love it, I have to say, there's always a lot of Montbrecia in West Cork. So you're not allowed to just go out and dig some out of the side of the ditch, no? No, you're not allowed to remove plants from the wild. Um, but Montbrecia has no problem spreading, so you'll always you yeah. always uh, find somebody with it in their garden if you want who will give you some. Yeah, okay. Um, somebody wants to know, does Peter know if the government or any government department offers any grants or incentives to people, now not farmers, but people who will be willing to provide some land to establish wildlife habitats or perhaps grow native species, not spruce trees? Uh, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I wish we had such a far-sighted government. To the best of my knowledge, no. Uh, but obviously, I don't know of all the, the government grants and agencies that are out there. So uh, perhaps, but to the best of my knowledge, absolutely not. No, oh, no. Okay. You, you, you probably want to be doing it on a, a commercial basis. You know, to, if you want to make money out of it, you want to be doing it on a commercial basis where maybe you were harvesting the seed or selling some wildflower plants off it or something like that. But to the best of my knowledge, there aren't grants. But, but, but perhaps I'm wrong. Okay, if anybody knows, please, please let us know and we'll pass it on to that listener. Maura says, advice please on how best to propagate geraniums. Also, when is the best time to prune hydrangea? Silver dollar has pointed head, not mop head. Lastly, when scented rhododendrons, what scented rhododendrons would you recommend? Okay, there's a lot in there. Okay, let's start. When, when is the best time to propagate geraniums? Okay, the best time to propagate geraniums will be during the kind of late summer, but getting a bit late now. But if you do have a greenhouse or a polytunnel, you will still be able to do it uh, for, during the month of September. It's been very, very warm. So you take take a cutting about four inches in length, cut at a node, which is just where the leaf meets the stem trish. That'll be the base of your cutting into a bit of rooting powder or rooting gel. Uh, and they, you know, remove all but one pair of leaves and they root away quite quickly for you. Even if you put them in a, uh, when we had the old milk bottles and you put them into a milk bottle full of water, they'd, they'd root away in that. But but a little small pot full of compost and they root away for you. Um, you'd want to be doing it fairly quickly now. Though, as I say, any time from kind of July to September is the time to do it. Cutting back hydrangea, silver dollar, it's one of the paniculata ones to the best of my knowledge so yeah, I would still wait though I would wait till the far side of the winter before I cut it back but it's it's one of these ones where it doesn't rely on the seven nodes that we've often talked about Trisha that, that's not important with these ones but I would leave it till February maybe early March before cutting it back quite hard and the third part oh the scented, scented rhododendrons which ones would I recommend yeah yeah, so there, there's few enough scented rhododendrons. So if you look at uh, uh, the deciduous azaleas, which without getting too far into the world of horticulture are actually rhododendrons. So deciduous azaleas, a lot of the naphill hybrids are quite strongly scented and they're gorgeous. And then uh, the, the, the kind of classic large evergreen 
rhododendrons that we all call rhododendrons, if you like. To the best of my knowledge, some of the only scented ones are, are what we call the Loderai hybrids from Leonardsley Gardens in the UK. So you have things like Loderai King George, and there's a few other Loderai hybrids which are strongly scented. Really, really beautiful plants. Um but slow, and I mean, they can, they can, I remember planting some in my parents' garden, and the, the plants had to be 15 years and more before they'd flower, so they wow. are slow, but uh, if time is on your hands, plant them and, and enjoy them in 15 years' time, if you can get them, that's the next thing. Yeah, and I love rhododendrons again, when I talk about the Bumbrisha in West Cork, rhododendrons, uh, I, I love the rhododendrons in, in West Cork as well. Okay, um, Peter, this is really lupins. Do you need... Do you need to cut them back or will they just die back of their own accord? And also any recommendations to fill the gap in the bed over the winter where the lupins currently are? I would recommend cutting them back because, um, number one, for cleanliness and tidiness. First of all, they flower earlier in the summer. And if you cut them back after flowering, you can often lead to a second flush of flowering. Um, uh, so, but that that's obviously too late for that now. You won't get as, any more flowers from the lupins now. But I would cut them back from tidiness, and also if you leave them, it can lead to as the, that material dies off. Lupins can be a bit, a bit temperamental in terms of of dying off. So, uh, as that um, the growth above the ground is dying off, uh, infection can get in. So, I would I would recommend cutting them back as opposed to waiting for them to die off. In terms of something like where the lupin is. I wouldn't put something too close to it to fill that gap because, again, they can be a bit temperamental, right? And you don't want to plant, obviously, right on top of it because the lupin, you'll, you'll destroy the lupin. So you would want to plant near it, but not too close to it. And obviously, you'd want something evergreen. So what I would be inclined to do in a situation like that is, the reason I say, obviously, it'll have to be evergreen is because we're coming into the winter months. The lupin will fill the space, let's say, from March to now. Um, but now you need something that's going to give winter colour. So that'll be, it, it won't necessarily be winter flower. You'll be looking at more like winter foliage or winter stem or something like that because we don't really have winter perennials, if you like. We do have a few, but not so many. So I would look at something like maybe a nice tall ornamental grass that will complement the lupin during the, winter, the summer and look well with the lupin when it's in flower. But equally then when the lupin dies off, the grass has a, it takes centre stage. Um, the garden is never as full of colour, if you like, in the winter, but it can be very beautiful, but just more simple. So things like grasses and that really come into their own then. So that's probably what I'd look at. Maybe something like stippa ponytails uh, or a millennia or dechampsia, but a nice, uh, oh, sorry, not millennia or dechampsia because they'll be gone actually for the winter. So maybe the stippa ponytails would be a good one to go for there next to the lupin. Okay, and a final one for somebody who grew sunflowers for the first time. I grew three of them. They grew to over six feet tall. They are still standing, but the heads look dead. Now, will these bloom again next year or do I throw them out and start all over again next year? And for next year, how do I get them to grow to 10 to 12 feet? Um, so the couple of the couple of things in that. No, those plants won't come next year provide, uh, uh, unless they're a perennial form of sunflower, which I would imagine they're not because what we love and, and know as sunflowers are a plant called Helianthus anus, anus meaning annual one year. So if, if it's the classic six, seven foot high sunflower, no, that's an annual and will only be the one year. But don't throw them out because you can collect the seeds and that's how you go again. So they say that they're standing still there, but they look dead. I'd say they probably won't be standing by the end of today. Um, <laughs> but the seed heads, the seed heads on them, if you cut off the seed head, which is your dead flower, just, you know, if you can imagine turning it upside down into an old paper bag, like a paper bag from one of the shops uh, and just 
let it hang into that paper bag, maybe suspend it above it with a bit of string or something, just so it can drop the seeds. As they dry, the seeds can drop into the, the bag or you can brush them into the bag. And those seeds, well, you can use them for, for, for eating or for the birds, but also they'll grow into new sunflowers next year. Now, how you get the, the, the 10 and 12 foot high ones it's not so much any magic trick. It's to do with the variety that you're getting. So there will be some varieties that will grow taller than others. So just a quick search online. The seeds that you've, you're harvesting from this year's one won't actually. They'll probably grow slightly smaller than this year's one because they're beginning to adapt to the Irish climate, which is a bit more windy than where they're, they're, they're native to. So it'll actually probably begin to be a bit smaller as, as you collect the seed. So look for one. Now, off the top of my head, I can't tell you the name of one that's going to get to 10 or 12 feet, but a quick search online and you'd fire in a garden centre and you'd find one easily enough. OK. All right, we leave it there. Have a lovely week and stay dry and stay safe. I certainly will. And you, Trish. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Thanks, Peter. Somebody says, uh, Peter Dowdle is such a gentleman and so knowledgeable. Yeah, he's a, a mine of information. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. And I've just spotted somebody says, Patricia, will you wish our sister, uh, Agnes O'Sullivan, happy birthday for today? She's blowing up a storm. God, God she certainly uh, is. And then somebody else was on when I mentioned uh, Sister Nula, the Loretta nun. Yvonne said uh, she also remembers Sister Nula. She was such an upbeat and uh, positive uh, nun and no one last checked in I don't know if she's still in for Moy or not I know she has uh, retired but by all accounts she is hale and uh, hearty and I mentioned medical cards uh, somebody says Patricia I know of a person who applied for a medical card was turned down because her husband's earnings why are, Why was she means tested on her husband's earnings This that's his money she's her own job and is earning her own income it seems wrong that's all all uh, means tests work the same way it is a combined income coming into the house. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is with you for the afternoon. He's sitting in for Nick Richards, who's off all of this week. Look after yourself, because Storm Magnus still very much there. And we'll talk to you, God willing, tomorrow at 10. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.